What do you remember about us meeting? Dude, I remember seeing this dude in scrubs. He just moved to Kansas City and uh, students in the elevator with scrubs who's just huge smile on his face, full of joy. And I'm like, dude, it's way too early for now. And so, <laughs> and then usually you get in the elevator and you're like, nah, don't talk to me. I like talk to you. Just wake it up. And then, uh, but dude, fell in love fell in love with you, Andrew, as a person and, um, and just your charismaticness and everything, which is awesome. And so, uh, been a great, great friend and getting to know you, man. Dude, yeah. So much respect. Yeah. I, I feel the same. I feel so privileged. I think you were also in scrubs, but you had me wound up in the fact that you had a suitcase with you, which always intrigues me. It's like, what this guy must live a very dynamic life. You, you actually are one of the people that inspired me to start the podcast. Because I remember we were on a walk in Kansas City going through yeah. the river market. Yeah. And during COVID, man, you were telling me about your upbringing, yep. right? And honestly, like it kind of surprised me in a way because you are such a dynamic human. I was like, I was so inspired by it, man. Like everything that you've been through and have become, like you're an extraordinary human. And I think it'd be fun to start back there Okay, when you were, let's say, 12 years old. What did your life look like? Yeah. So uh, it's funny you say that, man, because uh, I have a very different upbringing in regards to I'm one of 11 kids, same mom and dad, and um, single mom. And um, so she was, have so much respect for her. She ended up having to uh, raise all 11 of us um, in the family. And uh, and so through all that raising, and, and that is... Um, she used to color code us as well as number us. So still to this day, she might call you number eight or she might call me by my color, which is green. So that way she could keep us all organized. And so it was very different growing up in that situation, but uh, we we're all very close knit family and um, I want to change a thing. Yeah. And you guys had a business. Yeah. What was the business? Yeah. So we had a traditional junkyard salvage yard. Uh, that basically we would take wrecked cars and we'd dismantle them and sell the used auto parts from those. That's amazing. Yeah. And you kind of had to step up in a pretty big way to run the salvage yard, didn't you? Yeah. I would say uh, the brothers, we all did. And um, and so I started uh, pulling, being a parts puller, you know, at a super young age, 13, 14 years old, and then uh, promoted to really kind of the inventory manager. And uh, so it was a great experience of my first time really managing people, getting to know people was uh, salvage yard employees. So you're talking the roughest of the rough and, uh, 50, 60 year olds having to work with a 14, 15 year old. Uh, you learned a lot about leadership. Let's just say that, uh, through that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And to say the least, are you going to school at the same time or how are you managing this? Yeah. So, uh, we were all basically homeschooled is the best way to say it is, uh, we were all working a lot, um, and then working on the farm. Um, and then we would uh, basically uh, teach ourselves and um, and then the siblings, our mom would help as well. Uh, but I give a lot of credit to my a sister and brother-in-law who would stay up at night, really just making sure I, I got a good education and was able to go to college one day. Yeah, that's amazing. Can I, if I can ask, like, where the heck was your dad at? Yeah. And so uh, he had other plans and I guess didn't want to raise 11 kids. And so he, he lives in um, Ecuador and, um, and so uh, still... You know, later on in life, um, have have uh, worked on uh, trying to develop a relationship. And he missed out uh, big time, <laughs> you know, and you because you are just such a special human. Yeah, just great family, man. And uh, so sad he wasn't part of that part of our lives. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. So you're growing a salvage yard in Alabama, and are you thinking that you're going to stay in this salvage yard your whole life, or what are your you know what kind of dreams? Yeah. Didn't know really at that point. I was doing music on the side as well. 
uh, but also loved business. And it wasn't until there was a bad accident um, uh, outside of actually our salvage yard that I was able to help in um, that really changed it and said, okay, I love taking care of people. Um, this gentleman went under a car and the car crushed, uh, came down on him and I was able to be there with him and help get him out of that. Was he an employee or a customer? No, he was actually a neighbor that was working on his car next to our salvage yard. Crazy thing about the story, though, is we saved this guy's life. And then a couple months later, we find out someone's stealing from our salvage yard. It's the guy we saved. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's true. Um, but anyways, through that, I'm very grateful. The point of, look, it showed me that this is what I, I love the adrenaline of the trauma of being able to be there with someone during their worst time. Um, and it really drew me to say I wanted to do healthcare for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So how do you make the transition from being in a salvage yard to going into healthcare? Yeah. So I would say um, it really, I would say the biggest thing about leadership that I learned in a salvage yard is something uh, a mentor later on told me that I, I really was important to me was, look, Peter, people don't care how good you are or what you've accomplished in life until you've able to figure out one thing. They've got to know that you care about them as people. And if you are able to accomplish that and truly care about them as people, they'll run miles for you. They'll do anything and 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 be great employees for you as a leader. And uh, and I learned that at Salvage Yard is I became good friends with the the workers to a point that they respected me. I respected them. Was kind to them. They were kind to me. And we developed that trust and that confidence. And I would say that has translated into my leadership skills and leadership in healthcare. Was taking that same tactic. Look. When I take a new job, I'm not coming in there telling you, oh, look what I've accomplished. Look what all I've done. I want them to know, you know what? I know them as people. I care about you as people. I love people. And to this, we're going to do great things together. And so it, it really translated really well for me um, going from the salvage yard to healthcare. Yeah. And how did you get your start in healthcare? So did you were homeschooled yep. and then you went to college? Yeah. So I, I got an undergrad in nursing. And, um, and immediately started uh, working in an ICU um, setting. And within a couple months, I was one of the charge nurses. A couple months? Yeah. And so that's actually pretty common in nursing nowadays. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, but yeah, and so I really quickly realized, hey, look, I love leadership uh, aspect of healthcare. And so I immediately went to our uh, CNO at the time, uh, the executive of the hospital and said, hey, um, is there anything that like I can work on and help you with that I can take on? I want to grow. I want to learn at the same time while I'm working on my master's degree. And so after being there for a little while, she goes, Hey, um, I know you're 23 years old, about to be 23 years old. Uh, but I have a, a med surge unit that is hurting a lot of patients basically. And we can't keep any nurses there. And the quality is, is terrible. And, Honestly, Peter, you can't cause any more harm than it is now. It's that bad. And um, and so she gave me an opportunity to me was an opportunity of a lifetime was being able to become a, a manager of, of a big unit. And uh, so that got me started in my in my healthcare uh, leadership uh, skills. So where was that at? Uh, it was in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was kind of the results of you coming in? And yeah. So what's crazy is a story that really I would say has been a defining moment for my healthcare career. Uh, was two weeks into that job, and um, and I I had studied hard. I was getting my master's. I knew everything that I needed to be working on, 
And, um, and so I was prepared to start this leadership. We were going to change lives. We were going to make a huge impact. Well, two weeks later, I'm doing rounds, getting to know all my patients because that's what they told me you need to do. And you need to check on all your uh, different rooms to make sure everything's being done appropriately, et cetera. So I've done that, developed a really good relationship with this older couple to a point of, I get to see them every day, great relationship. Well, my life and my basically so much in me changed that day. Um, we didn't have some safety things in place like we should have um, on that unit. And um, it just because I didn't know better. And also it's just because of how, how toxic some of the stuff was on that, on that, on that unit. And unfortunately that patient fell and due to the fall, the patient later on died. And I remember just holding that, um, the wife of the patient, just crying with her. And I couldn't imagine, like, because we didn't have things in place uh, from a safety aspect, this patient has fallen and this patient has died as a result of that. So that was a defining moment for me. And the next day brought our entire team together and said, guys, this unit has been harming way too many people for way too long. And today that stops. And, um, and really we have an opportunity today to change that and make sure that nobody else gets hurt on this unit. And from that day on, until I left that lead, uh, on, uh, that for an entire year, we n- didn't hurt a single patient, not a single infection happened on our unit. You know, the cool thing was, is not one nurse left in that year time. We had a team, we did it together. And at the end of the day, we saved a lot of patients from being harmed because we had the structure in place, the accountability, and who gets an opportunity as a leader to do that and actually end result is you saved lives and you kept people from being hurt and harmed. So to me, that was a huge defining moment for me as a leader. You have such a heart of gold, man. I feel so lucky to know you. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's been fun, man. It's just great to see the impact. Yeah. I think one thing that's really connected you and I over the years is our love for going to foreign places, yeah. getting perspective and leaving an impact on the yep. place. And the first time you told me about Haiti, I remember like my world stopped and I was like, Peter, <laughs> tell me everything that you're doing there. How did Haiti come into your life? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm again, fast forward a couple of years, I'm 25 years old, one of the youngest execs in the country uh, for a major health system. And I think everything is, for me, my life is perfect. Like, I, I, you know, meeting all my professional goals from relationships, from, from all aspects and Yet did I know I was really missing a, a big piece of uh, a passion of mine. And so um, I'm working one day and I had uh, started talking to this girl that I thought was absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's down living in Haiti, saving babies in an orphanage. Okay. Beautiful. Like, as you can tell, like, I was just like, oh my God, this is my wife. Uh, <laughs> this is this sold. Yes. Uh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. My life is complete. So I end up, uh, uh, at the time, I think it was Skype, and then you had phone calls back in the day. And, um, and so we were talking pretty much every night while she was in Haiti. And, um, and so I had heard this story that she was telling me that really just, I mean, made me even fall for this girl faster was she was walking through Haiti and she heard some crying coming from a junk pile. And she went to it and found that the baby had a hydrocephalus and um, had been out in thrown away in the garbage and was extremely sick at that point, extremely dehydrated. And, um, and knowing the girl, this person, uh, knowing the person, this girl was, she knew the only 
place, the closest place this baby could get care was in Port-au-Prince, which is nine, 10 hours away. And so she selfishly, selflessly um, ended up going on a bus ride, basically harsh, harsh trip with a baby that's actively dying by herself to one of the most dangerous cities in the world. And, um, and that's how my experience in Haiti started. Yep. And then what? (laughs) So she ends up, uh, the organization she was a part of ends up calling me, uh, a couple days later and said, guys, Peter, we've heard about you. We know you're in healthcare. We got a big issue. Uh, Sarah went to Port-au-Prince and as you're aware, and she can't get care for this baby and the baby's actively dying at the same time. She's now got pneumonia. Um, Sarah does my, my friend that I'm talking to and, um, and she's not doing well either. So I would love to say, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go down to Haiti. So I'm like, personally thinking, okay, who could go to Haiti? This person, uh, you know, I got responsibilities here and everything and then nobody. Okay. And so, uh, within hours later, next thing I know, I'm taking supplies with me and going down to Port-au-Prince to to basically find Sarah and and try to save this baby's life. And through that experience, my life was forever changed from that. And I remember Andrew just holding that baby, just praying, like praying to God that this baby was going to survive. And at that point, none of my professional career mattered. Nothing at that point mattered, but this baby living. And uh, so it's crazy how quickly an experience like that, just going to a country so different than what we grew up in, changes your values, your priorities, and your outlook instantly. Instantly. Yep. And the how valuable life is to a point of, wow, like where I thought, oh, so much stuff was so important, all that stress, the trying to be successful, all that at that point meant absolutely nothing to me. It was just how, how just hopefully this baby's, you know, is able to survive. Yeah. And, um, and so that, that night holding that baby totally wrecked me yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. What's the baby's destiny? Where did they, they end ended up? up um, having surgery at my hospital and, um, you know, back in the States and the baby lived and, um, uh, and got adopted in the U S and so, uh, just, a a really cool experience, but I always like to say is that baby was my, uh, my connection to, uh, what turned out to be almost a lifelong passion for me so far. And, um, and connected me really to Haiti. Yeah. And, um, because try going from that, Andrew, to going back and going back to your job and working every day, knowing that's happening in Haiti. I could, yeah. it literally wrecked me, um, you know, from that point. Yeah. What did you do about that feeling? Yeah. So, uh, through that experience, I was able to get connected to the organization this girl was part of. And, uh, they had a, a clinic at the time that was just taking care of a few babies and, uh, through the years at that point, I was able to join the board of directors and, uh, we ended up starting a children's hospital and where there was no children's hospital in that area, as well as, uh, being able to take care of special needs babies. And, um, and so, uh, that organization, that children's hospitals now, you know, they save literally thousands of babies at this point. Wow. And, um, and I always say a lot of that was birthed out of this, this baby. Yeah. And so the, when you talk about significance of life is they threw away that baby and they said the baby has hydrocephalus that whoever, you know, unfortunately that family, whoever birthed that baby threw the baby away and felt the baby was not worth anything. And 
But what I love to see is through that baby's life, children's hospitals open. Through that baby's life, thousands of ba- other babies have been saved. And, um, and so it just shows you, you know, some people will, will say that there's no value there, what truly a life could do. Yeah. And uh, so that's been awesome. Beautifully said, Peter. How long did it take to build the hospital? So that was an ongoing um, process of getting the hospital done. So we had some of the structure uh, from the clinic. And then, um, you know, years later, um, I had a huge opportunity. Um, fast forward again, uh, years later, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and, um, and leading one of the larger hospitals in the country um, and get an opportunity basically to say, hey, Peter, if the board of directors are like, hey, if we can get this OR in the hospital completely operational, like a U.S. children's hospital, we have an event coming up in seven months. That's a huge fundraiser that if we can get surgeries done and the hospital fully operational, we think we can fund the entire thing. Yeah. Talked, uh, you know, clock ticking. And uh, so, you know, having had that experience in Haiti, having um, Noah, that's a huge passion of mine. It was a no brainer for me. Yeah. And uh, so I resigned from my position, get my 30 days, resigned for the position and moved down to Haiti to get this OR built in the children's hospital fully operational with no connections from a construction standpoint or how to get this done. That's crazy. It was wild. Who's funding it? Exactly. And, um, and so we had a couple of, uh, so a couple of board members, um, and, um, and also some, uh, celebrities that were on our board that were part of leading that fundraiser as well as, um, the conversation of look, we'll handle the funding. We'll get that done. We need your operational experience on how to operate a hospital, how to start a hospital, and go down there and go help us uh, build this fully operational so we can save a lot more children. Yeah. And so it was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Are you going to tell us which celebrities or are you going to leave us <laughs> on a cliffhanger? <laughs> I'll probably have to leave that. <laughs> but it can be uh, easily found out. Um, <laughs> and so just celebrities. Uh, a couple that truly have an amazing heart for people and um, and for the the country of Haiti, you know, and um, is so, uh, but very proud to to work alongside them. Yeah, R- respect, Peter. Uh, I like that. <laughs> You've become a corporate officer at one of the largest healthcare organizations in the world at at a fairly young age. What do you feel like you're doing, or have done, or have been blessed by that these other people who have the same goals and aspirations? Yeah. Um, haven't been able to do? I would say, um, you know, first off, I'm incredibly grateful to mentors that have given me chances and people that have given me opportunities that I should never have had. And, um, and what I always love to say is I never chased the success to, I never said, Oh, I want to be, uh, one of the leaders of the, the lar- one of the largest health system in the world. That wasn't my intent. Um, the connection I had to get that job came from Haiti actually who was the organization that helped me do the first surgery cases who paid for, um, you know, the equipment down in Haiti. It was a no brainer for me, you know, at that point who I wanted to work for. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up actually, when I finished in Haiti, I ended up taking a a job with that organization at a very low level exec position. was even actually exec position when I could have gone to a lot of other um, organizations as a senior high level exec. But the reason was I knew this company's heart and I knew that no matter what I did professionally, they were going to help me do my primary passion, which was people 
and taking care of people and taking care of Haiti. Yeah. And, um, and so it was an entryway into this position was to really help people. And I think if that's people's goal, ultimately is how can you change lives? How can you take care of people? Um, the success will follow that. You don't need to pursue success. Take care of the right people. Your your employees take care of uh, you know the people that you're taking care of, um, and the success will follow. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they do it for the wrong reasons, and then they struggle and and then it's not authentic at all. I agree, man. I'm I'm listening. Hopefully, other people are too. You know, I feel like serendipity has played a really big part in us coming together from the elevator in Kansas City way too early in the morning. And then from like Garrett, our dear friend, right? Who the amazing musician Garrett Adair, um, his dad, Jay, was on the podcast a few episodes ago. And Garrett left his business, right, in Dallas and to become a full-time musician, something he's really good at. He came to Nashville. It's amazing. Yeah. And you really helped him kind of integrate here and get to know a lot of people. Do you remember when we connected the dots between the three of us? Yeah. So as crazy as he's been telling me, uh, and Andrew, I don't know if you remember, you were telling me about, about Garrett, crazy good musician, as well as he had a family company as well that I know he talked about, uh, his dad talked about on the podcast. What's very interesting is you made a comment was, Peter, you won't recognize the name of his parents, his family's company. And when you said the name, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? So back in the day when I'm 12, 13, 14 years old working in the salvage yard, um, who we bought our cars from was Garrett's family uh-huh. and uh, auctions. And, um, and so seeing the roads collide and come together um, has been incredible. But yeah, uh, just seeing someone equally pursuing their passion and loving people and uh, been incredible. You and Garrett, these are the guys, these are people uh, that I love surrounding myself with and I give a lot of credit for any success of anything is because of the people that you're with and yeah. you surround who drives you every day uh, and who's there to encourage you whenever things aren't looking at. Yeah, man, you gave me goosebumps, especially considering we recently celebrated uh, Garrett's parents' anniversary in Asheville. Yeah. It was 31 years, 33? Yeah. 31 or 33 years. A special night. And he invited like 25 of their closest friends to celebrate their anniversary dinner, yeah. which is crazy, right? That speaks yeah. to their just inclusiveness and how they look out for people and their love for community. Yeah. I think that's so special. And you gave up and you gave a very touching speech, man. And you just talked about how it's been so full circle. And I think just the commonality of serendipity through yeah. it all. What's interesting is the comment I made uh, at that and hundred percent believed in is again, I had an opportunity of watching this family for 20 something years and the success of this massive corporate company. And, um, and so here I am looking at a man and, and, and woman that are, they have it all, you know, from a financial stand professional. And so when I got up, that's not really that impressed me. I work with a lot of people that, uh, you know, and know a lot of high level execs that have a lot of money and that have been incredibly successful. What impressed me more and what I spoke about was what Garrett and his sister Jacqueline said about her, their parents, the respect they had for them. And it wasn't anything to do with money. It wasn't anything to do with success. It was the fact, the respect of how good a parents they were to them. And so what I comment I made was, look, I always say I have so much more respect for how the kids talk about the parents. Yeah. And to me, that's real success is whenever your kids call you blessed. And that was the comment I made in a really special night at night. Yeah. And it touched everybody in the room. You've accomplished so much at such a young age, man. I'm just so proud of you. And you're just getting started, I feel like, which is crazy to think about. 
what is left on your bucket list? Like, what else do you want to accomplish? No, um, again, I think wherever the impact is to be made, that's where I want to be. And, um, and so my dream would be able to do kind of those Haiti uh, situation, those children's hospital and probably a lot of different countries where, you know, where there's needs and, and being able to be so successful to be able to one day kind of fund those items and, and truly live in a way that um, you can do both. And so what I always love doing at any position I take now is the fact of, look, how can I interwind both? That I'm being very, very successful for that company, um, accomplishing the company's goal, but also looking out of in this kind of authority that I have, in this kind of level position I have, what lives now can I impact? Because the higher level you go in these companies, massive uh, corporations, it allows you to touch a lot of people's lives. And, um, and so that's it's something I challenge myself every day is, okay, given this kind of accountability, not only am I responsible for the people under me, the work we're doing, but with this kind of responsibility, what else can I be doing community-wise, Haiti, and give you multiple examples of, of uh, having that opportunity just because of the role where we get to serve in, yeah. which is super cool. It's so Man, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story. It's it's truly incredible and just so inspiring. Well, I love you. You're a legend to me and uh, so excited to, to see you grow in your career and uh, such a good friend to me and encourager. So, yeah, a blessing to my friend. Absolutely. Love you, brother. Yep. <laughs>